Amen. You may all be seated this morning. This morning as we look into our text, we see that Jesus was in Bethany where Mary and Martha had prepared him a meal. Now this was not an uncommon thing for this to actually happen because the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus was a place that Jesus found hospitality and lodging during his time of his earthly ministry. However, it is at this special occasion that we see that this visit was a little bit different than all of the other visits that Jesus had previously within this home. This visit was after that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And we all know the wonderful story about the miracle that actually Lazarus receives. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11 verse two that Lazarus, who was the brother to Mary and Martha, had become down with a sickness. Now we don't know what that sickness was. We just know without a shadow of a doubt that Lazarus was sick. We don't know if it was cancer. We don't know if it was uh, diabetes. We don't know what it was. But when Mary and Martha had seen this sickness, the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 3, that they sent word to Jesus saying, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now he's sick, no doubt about it. And they sent word and said, hey, I want you to know the guy that you love, your best friend, old Lazarus, he's sick. And Jesus had a special relationship, as we already said, with this family due to the times that he had visited with them and the times of hospitality that they had shown and given him throughout his ministry. This family was a great support not only to the ministry of Jesus but also to the ministry of his disciples. They were discipled themselves. John chapter 11 verse 5 says that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. No doubt about it, we know that Jesus loves everybody, don't we? Isn't he somebody that loves everybody, even the sinner? But there was a special bond. There was a special love. This is why it's stated like it is stated because he had formed this close-knit relationship with these people. However, the Bible says in John 11, 4, that when Jesus heard that this Lazarus, this man in whom he loved, this man that was his friend had come down with this sickness, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but this sickness is for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. And then something odd states in verse 6 of that chapter. It says, when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in that same place. Jesus didn't get excited, nor did he get anxious, and neither did it appear that he, he seen the importance to run to the rescue to Lazarus' aid. It doesn't say that at all. Jesus didn't stop what he was doing and run and make a pastoral or a shepherd visit. He didn't go and pray for him. He didn't go anoint him with oil. He didn't go lay hands on him. But let the Bible tells us that he prolonged his coming. Matter of fact, it don't even state that he took time with his disciples to pray over him that I could find. Jesus just kept doing what he was doing. Now think about it. Here's his best friend, one of his best friends, a close relationship with him, a bond, a bond that he had created with his family. They come to him and say, hey, your friend's like, and they know that it must be pretty serious, or Jesus does, or they would have never sent that word. But Jesus seems to just kind of ignore it and pass it by, never gives it a date, keeps keeps doing what he's doing, and he keeps just going on in his ministry for another two days. However, at Jesus' arrival, this did not sit so well with Martha because during Jesus' delay, something tragic happens. What happens? Lazarus dies. Now think about that. During Jesus' delay, Lazarus dies. Look at Martha's reply. Lord, if you would have been here, 
my brother would have died. It's odd how that during storms that you and I can get tunnel vision and we focus on what the storm dictates to us instead of what faith does. It's odd how we can be up on the mountaintop when everything's going good and then when the storm hits we get tunnel vision and all of a sudden we see everything in the negative, don't we? We don't see anything positive. All of a sudden, all we see is those things that appear to be real. Those things that are there, those symptoms, those feelings, that pain or whatever it is. But look how Martha's perspective changed. When she sent for Jesus, listen to her, her statement. Lord, the one whom thou lovest is sick. In other words, she had no doubt that Jesus loved him. She had no doubt that Jesus cared for him. She says, the one that you love, he's the one that's, that your brother that you got a bond with. But when he arrives, she says, if you would have only been, if you would have only cared my brother would have been here. What changed? All of a sudden, one minute, she's saying, I know you love him. And the next minute, she says, why didn't you care? Why didn't you love him? When, we, when she was wanting something, wanting something from the Lord, she used the what? Love card. But when things didn't go her way, she used the blame card. And let me tell you, many, many times, this is what happens to pastors and leaders and disciplers and ministers. That's why that people are quitting the ministry in all forms, right and left. As long as everybody's, as long as that person is meeting the needs, paying the attention and responding to the situation, they're praised and they're loved and they're adored. Oh, we got the greatest pastor. Oh, we got the greatest elder. Oh, we got the greatest council member. Oh, we got the greatest teacher. Oh, we got the greatest disciple. Oh, we got the greatest, the greatest, the greatest. But then when the storms of life come in, it's often so easy to lose our perspective. When that person does not meet our every expectation, when they don't jump through every hoop, when they don't respond to every demand, and when they don't react the way that we think they, they, they should have reacted, when they don't come when we think they should have come, our perspective changes that they're no good. They don't love us like they said they do. Isn't it odd? Isn't it odd how a storm can change our perspective just like that? One minute we can know that God loves us. One minute we know that God cares for us. Let a storm come and all of a sudden, where are you at, God? Don't you care? Like the disciples out in the middle of the boat. He, the, prior to that day, folks, they had spent somewhere around 48 hours in ministry seeing Jesus loving people, healing people, feeding people in the multitudes. He's seen them, he's, they seen him lay hands on the sick and everything else. And all of a sudden, they get out there in a little boat and their perspective changes just like that. And when the storm come up and it seemed like the boat was in trouble, Master, carest thou not that we perish? In other words, don't you care for us? Just like that, our attitude and our belief and our faith can be rocked over one simple little storm. And it's time that we, the church, get a hold of ourselves and exercise faith. Can I have an amen in this house? We all are going to face storms just like that of Lazarus because we all have a common enemy. He's the devil. He goes to around, going to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour. That's the job of the devil. How many believes that? If you believe that, I want you to raise your hand. I'm setting you up. I want you to know I just set you up big time. But it is here that we see that it appears that Lazarus has been defeated by his storm. Storms is a way of life, and there are times that it seems that the storm not only will defeat us, but it has defeated us. Have you ever felt like you've been defeated? It appears that by all indications that Lazarus has lost the battle with his storm because his sickness came unto death. He dies. You say, well, he did lose. No, he didn't lose. There are some of you facing this same kind of situation. 
you're facing the storm of your life and you're wondering if you're going to survive it. Am I going to survive this thing both physically and spiritually? Am I going to keep a sound mind? Am I going to be able to bear this thing up? This is weighing heavily upon me. It's the storm of your life. You're facing all kinds of hardships and difficulties and sicknesses and, and whatever it is, pressure and anxiety and fear, all that kind of stuff hits us all. But God has, and the reason you feel this way is because that God has not met your expectations. Your hopes have given away to one disappointment, one right after another. Am I talking to anybody? With each opportunity for God to do something, you wake up and oh, this is the day he's gonna do something, yet, you know, it's just another day. It was another letdown. Well, each new day that you thought a ray of hope would come, looking for God to show up, you woke up only to find everything's the exact same. Or sometimes you wake up, it ain't the same, it's got worse. With each new test, instead of good news coming your way, a bleaker, a more darker, a more intense diagnosis has been given to you. Instead of divine supply coming to your way, a notice, a bill arrived and set you even further back than what you thought you were. Am I talking to somebody here today? Instead of a word of encouragement comes, you know what happened? A word of discouragement comes. You know what the word discouragement means? The removal of courage. And therefore, you don't have any courage to face your storm. The discouragement comes, you have no courage. That's why God over and over and over tells Joshua and, the, and different ones, be thou, be thou couraged. Be thou, be thou not dismayed, but be of good courage, he tells them. Instead of a word of encouragement, though it's this discouraging word, that nagging spiritual voice that says, you're going down, I'm taking you down, there's nothing that's gonna happen. Look, there ain't anything going on. You're getting worse, things are getting bleaker, things are getting darker, the diagnosis is getting heavier. On and on up, that is the whispers of hell. Come on, somebody help me preach. It seems that your healing, your miracle has not only been postponed, but it's been denied. There's some of you here that has gave way to fear and you have lost faith and you think there's no change in this. This is where Lazarus and his sisters were at. Matter of fact, Mary and Martha have sent for the great physician, but he didn't show up and Lazarus died. Maybe some of you are in this same scenario. Have you ever summoned Jesus, but he hasn't showed up and the date and the slotted time for your need to be met is forepassed? The electric bill or the electric is being shut off. The car's being repossessed. The medicine run out. The bill's not been paid. The cancer spread. The disease is intensified. The divorce has already happened. It's final. And now, just like Lazarus and Mary and Martha, it seems that you've lost the battle and your storm has overtaken you. You have lost and the storm is won. There is some of you that are faced in that very dilemma. But it's on this premise that we see this was the place that Mary and Martha were at at Jesus' arrival. He comes, but he's late. He comes, but it's over. He comes, it's finished. Lazarus is dead. He's been in the tomb for four days. And they even have a testimony saying, hey, he's been dead for four days. He stinks. He's rotting. He's decaying already. Amen? Have you ever felt that Jesus delayed in coming to your request? How many have ever felt that? Come on, be honest, raise your hand. Have you ever felt like that Jesus was delayed in coming to your request? Raise your hand. Of course we all feel that way because he has been. Have you ever felt that Jesus ignored your petition? Have you ever prayed and it seemed like the heavens are brass and he ain't paying attention to you? How many has ever felt that way? Raise your hand. I want you to admit it with me today. Have you ever felt that Jesus was late and rescuing you? 
Have you ever felt denied by Jesus as if he said no to you or this is not happening? Amen, we all have. Mary and Martha felt rejected, hurt, confused at Jesus' delay. They petitioned him with such expectation and faith because they knew that he loved them. They actually exercised faith in their petition. Now that he didn't show up, they felt betrayed. They felt abandoned. They felt used. They felt like a fool for trusting Christ. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt abandoned by the Lord? Have you ever felt like a fool in trusting the Lord and, and it, you were foolish to even speak about what God's going to do for you in the face of your adversaries when all looks like you're going down and you're saying, I don't care. I'm going to speak those things that are not as though they were. And you feel foolish in doing it because you feel like you really can't trust this Christ for coming through for what he said he would do for you. I'm, I'm really preaching where a lot of us are living. Some of us are afraid to speak the positive because we don't want to look foolish if it don't happen. Some of us are afraid to say God's got it in control and exercise faith because what happens if it turns out the other way? I'll look like a fool. So is some of us having a problem trusting Jesus as well with our set of problems? I have before. Come on. I've not always carried the highest of faith that I should have. Matter of fact, Jesus' disciples didn't. There were times Jesus looked up and said, why do you have little faith? There were other times he looked up and said, why do you have no faith? Amen. Why did you doubt? Every single one of us is dealing with this doubt plague that's coming upon the church here at, night, here at Palace of Praise. And I want to tell you, I cast doubt out in Jesus' name. This is a place of faith. This is a place of miracles. This is a place of healing. This is a place of deliverance. This is a place of supernatural happenings. This is a place of reconciliation. This is a place of restoration. This is a place where God does an entire work where people are whole. Whole. Say whole with me. Say whole with me. Say whole with me. That's our declaration. That's what I believe. God came to give us wholeness, not partial blessing, wholeness. Say wholeness. But here they are. Was Jesus just manipulative in all those times visiting with them, just using them for food and offerings and hospitality? That's what's going through their mind. One minute say, oh, he really loves us. The next minute, I think he used us. Amen? Was his love and actions just all a hoax? Was it a ploy? Was just a plan designed to take them and use them for his own advantage so that he could have earthly, uh, you know, uh, 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 earthly blessing? Was all this a hoax, a falsehood, a smoke scheme, this relationship that we had with him? They sent word in faith that he would come. Why didn't he come? Didn't the Bible say if we exercise faith that he'll honor it? Then why didn't he come? They asked in faith. The problem of it is he did come. He just didn't come when they wanted him to. Huh. Boy, I'm about to preach here in a minute. Woo-hoo, I know where I'm going. Hallelujah. Does Jesus really love you the way that he says he loves you? That's the question you gotta ask yourself. Does Jesus really care for you the way he says he cares for you? Casting all your care upon me because I care for you. Amen. Do you think Jesus loves you? Do you think Jesus cares for you? Then why are we so doubtful in him coming even though he may be delayed. 
Why is it that we're sitting here and we don't have everything that we want, when we want it, how we want it, and yet the storm dictates us and gives us tunnel vision, and all of a sudden we begin to not believe in the reality of the power and the provision and the blessing of God upon our lives. Amen? Don't doubt God's love over you. Don't doubt God's provision over you. Amen? Does Jesus really respond in honor of faith? If yes, then why didn't he come? Because they ask in faith. Regardless of how it seems, regardless of how it appears, Jesus may not come in the way that you ask him. He may not come like you want him to. He may not come as you thought he was going to. But I want to tell you, he's going to come to you. Amen? He may not come at the first watch. He may not come at the second watch. He may not come at the third watch. It may be the fourth watch of the night, just like he came to the water, the disciples walking in the midst of the storm on the water in the boat. But it was the fourth watch. It was night. They told all night. It was a long, hard night. But I want to tell you, rejoice, because joy comes in the morning. He will come. Amen? It may be late and it may seem late and it may seem like that God is late, but I want to tell you something. Jesus is never late. He's always right on time to fulfill his purpose. You know, Jesus had already gave the reason for his delight to his disciples when he said, this sickness is not a death, but this is for the glory of God that the Lord or the Son of God might receive or be glorified thereby. Let me say that again. I butchered that a little bit. This sickness is not a death, but that the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. In other words, to those of you that are facing delay in Christ's coming, listen to this, rejoice because he has entrusted you to bring glory to his own name. This ain't about you, it's about him. Rejoice because the greater is going to be the victory and the greater work is going to be accomplished for the kingdom of God in you because even though there may be a delay, things are worse. The worse they get, the more glory it gets because God performs a greater miracle. Amen? No one likes going through anything, do we? It's more powerful to go through something than it is to avoid it, though. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to go through the fire. When you read that, you're intrigued. What would happen if they would have never went through the fire? They just skipped it. They just went around it. They jumped over it. You know, sometimes you got to go through some things. You don't just get, you know, it ain't just instantaneous miracles. Daniel had to go through the lion's den. Noah had to go through the flood. We could go all through the scripture like that, couldn't we? And we read about them. We're so intrigued. And, oh, I wish I could be like them. But we never want to be put in the position that they were in in order to receive our miracle. Hallelujah. If you're going to have a testimony, you've got to pass a test. God's setting some of you up for the greatest testimony of your life. Get ready. Testimonies is going to increase and there's going to be multiplied in the body of Christ here in the closing hours of this dispensation. God is going to show him strong, himself strong on our behalf. Folks, this is, getting, this is going to get rich. This is a God moment happening right now where we're at. Everybody's looking at the virus and the darkness and everything that's coming up on the earth. This is a God moment. God's moving. God's shaking. God's stirring. As Brother O'Randy West, oh, something's happening. God is moving. Hey, rejoice. Would you rejoice with me for that right now? Rejoice. Hey, come on, get excited. Have faith in this. We are entering into the air of testimony. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied in 1939. He said that there was gonna be four outpourings of revival before the end time would come, before the second return of Jesus Christ. The number one, there was a revival of healing that come after the war. He prophesied it. 
There was a charismatic revival that happened after that, which he prophesied about. There was the word of faith revival that happened after that, which he prophesied about. And all three of these has happened. But then Smith Wigglesworth said, but the greatest revival of all will be a last day revival of testimonies that will bring thousands to Jesus Christ. It won't be a preacher putting up a tent and preaching and thousands be saved under one man's ministry. They're gonna be saved as the result of the body of Christ sharing the word of their testimonies about what God has done. Can I have an amen? That means you are the ones that God is choosing in the last day to win a harvest and the way he's going to do it is to give you a story to tell and you're gonna be able to tell your story and your story is gonna to touch thousands for the glory of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! My, my, I'm having fun this morning. You say, what that's all about? I don't know. I'm making it up as I go. Look at verse nine. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that Jesus was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they also came to see Lazarus also whom he raised from the dead. Now God is about to explode his miracles upon his people and God is gonna use many of you to reach thousands for the glory of God. Notice, I'm here, that God or Jesus was not the only one they came to see. They came to see Lazarus. Can I have an amen? I'm here to tell you that God is gonna give you a story to tell and he's about to use your story to bring a revival throughout the land. Give God praise for that. Give God praise for that. This is the revival that we're in right now. It's called, it's called I'm, gonna, I'm gonna already tag it. I'm gonna be ahead, okay? I'm gonna be the catalyst that puts a name to this. It's gonna be a called the revival of testimonies. That's why the Revelations 12 and 11 says, and they overcome him, talking about the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of their testimonies. And they love their life not unto death. Now, now, how many knows that God is going to and fro throughout the earth showing, seeking whom he may be strong on their behalf? Now, you believe the devil was going to and fro seeking whom he may be destroyed. Everybody raised their hand. But we really believe that God's going to and throw throughout there seeking in whom he may show himself strong on their behalf. Why can't we believe that the devil's cruel and mean, but we can't believe that the God is good and gracious? Why is it that we believe have more faith in the power of the devil to afflict than the power of God to heal? Why is it that we believe that the devil has power to bring things bad when we don't believe that God has power to make things good? God, help me preach. Woo-hoo. Rock and chair, you better get with me. God's not late. He knows exactly what he's doing, folks. On your behalf, I want to prophesy to some of you. Get ready. You're fixing to have one of the greatest testimonies. Your life is forever going to be rattled and your life is forever going to be changed. We know that the, how the story turns out. Lazarus is raised from the dead, is he not? I said Lazarus is raised from the dead. Jesus gets there, Martha makes her accusation, if you'd only been here, if you'd only cared. Tunnel vision, caused by storm. Come on. Perspective changed just because he didn't come when she wanted him to come, didn't react the way he wanted to re- her to him to react. 
didn't happen the way she perceived it to happen. That's our biggest problems. We start praying things and then we perceive it how God's going to do it. And when it don't happen the way we perceive it, then we think it's a denial. And all along, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. Can I have a That he might be glorified in something. But here we are. He's there. If you'd only been here, my brother would have lived. Well, he's going to live again. Oh, I know he is in the last day, in the last trump. When the trump sounds, he's going to rise in the last resurrection. Jesus, no, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He that believed in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Roll back to stone, boys. Lazarus, come forth. And boom, here he comes. Amen. God came. God was faithful. Say, God was faithful. His delay did not stop what he was doing. Amen. This is one of the greatest testimonies ever recorded in the word of God. Why? Because what a testimony it is from, from passing a test and the worst test that he could have ever fought was this one because I want to tell you there's not a greater testimony than, being, than going, being put to death and then rising from the dead. What a testimony. What would happen if someone would die here? Who wants to die and be resurrected? Any volunteers? Oh my. The fame of this testimony went all over the land and people for miles came to hear it. They wanted to see him, touch him, talk to him. They wanted to ask him questions. They weren't there just to see Jesus. They were here to say, what did Jesus do for you? Come on, talk about, what did you feel? What did you see? What was death like? What was the tomb like? How, was it dark? Did you see angels? Did you see heaven? What, what, don't you know the questions they were going to ask this man? Can you imagine when God begins to do his supernatural work right here in the church of all of the people that's going to come in and say, hey, John, hey, Joe, hey, Sam, hey, Mike, hey, who? What happened? How did it happen? What did you feel? What was it like? Come on. And that be a, going to be a grand and glorious day when God does his miracles among the church. They wanted to see it. This is what, this is, what is about to happen that God is about to manifest his presence and there's going to be such a spark of healing throughout our church and deliverance and manifestations of salvation and all of that stuff and God's going to blow our minds away. Our testimonies are going to touch multitudes for the glory of God. But to have a testimony, we're going to have to endure some testimony. We're going to have to keep the proper attitude and the proper, proper faith during our test. You can't get tunnel vision. You can't lose faith. You can't get hard-hearted towards this thing. Look what happened next. Here's Jesus teaching at Bethany. And among the people with a certain crowd, and the Bible says they were there not to see Lazarus. They were there not for Jesus' sake, but they were there to kill Lazarus. Isn't that strange? Now, there are all kinds of us in this building that have testimonies of what God has done in our past. If, I want to tell you, some of us have been healed, spared, protected, kept, delivered, blessed, saved, sanctified, baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, reunited, re restored, reconciled, and on and on we can go. And God has done miracles among us. If you have been one of those candidates, raise your hand. All over this building. Now, but isn't it odd that all of a sudden, on the scene, arises some people that's not interested in hearing about Jesus. They're not even interested to see Lazarus. They want to kill him. It isn't good enough that God has done supernatural works among us. It isn't good enough that he's done a miracle and we've testified of it. The devil will not stop fighting, but he's out to kill or to destroy our testimonies. The ones we got, the ones we're going to receive, he's going to try to kill it. In the last 34 years of pastoring, I've never been a pastor 
that has looked or paid much attention to signs in nature or signs in happenings or coincidences, dreams and visions. I've had a few of those and they've been real. But most of that kind of stuff has been exploited or it's been manipulated or it's been created. I've always looked to the word of God for my confirmation and I still do to this day. If the word don't confirm it to me, I don't pay much attention to it. But I know that God does use signs. I know he uses wonders. I know he uses those kinds of things because he did in the word of God and he said he, that he was going to. And I've really not paid much attention to them unless they've resonated with me. If they don't resonate, I have people telling me stuff all the time. If it don't resonate with me, it's gone. I'm just being honest. It's got to resonate with me. I'm a praying man. I'm a searching man. I get in the word. And when people do come and tell me something, when it resonates, I say, hey, I got to pay attention to that. Amen? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It bears witness to what God has already begun to speak in my life. However, I can say with a few years, I can count on my hands probably eight or ten times when something happened in nature, something happened in science, something happened in wonders, that got my attention and it resonated with me. Only at 30 some years of ministry, that's only happened about 8, 10, 12 times, something like that, I ain't put a number to them and I've been trying to think of all of them. But what is so odd about it, the ones that have resonated with me, they've all happened, most of them has happened in the last 18 to 20 months. What happened prior to that, that first 20 years or 25 years? Why are they just now resonating with me? Signs are accelerating, folks. The earth is crying out. The earth is moaning. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. These things are going to accelerate as time comes. I want to show you a visual that we've shown before that resonated with me, and I believe it's a prophetic nature, and I just brought attention to it. Randy's brought attention to it, and I've really not told you everything that the Lord shared with me during this time. I'm still not going to do that. But, I'm, but I want to show the first slide, which is a storm. Show the storm. You got it? Oh, I hope this works. Can you show the storm up there, boys? Woo! They got it? Oh, there it is. I wished it was bigger. But no doubt, we see that this storm, that's a storm. It came out of nowhere. It was only about three to five-tenths miles wide. It lasted about 15 to 20 minutes. It's all it lasted. It done havoc, destroying everything in its path. It was violent. Wind was violent. Rain was atrocious. There was flooding. There was hail. There, there was destruction all over that town in that three to five tenths wide. Up north, four up north, didn't even get a rain, didn't even get a wind. Down, way down south, they didn't even get a rain or get a wind. It was right here about three tenths or five tenths wide. That's all it was. And no doubt, the storm come, and if you look in, the, in that storm, you can see the face of a demon. How many sees it? Raise your hand. I wish it was bigger. No doubt. Now, you say, well, that's just a cloud formation. And everybody says, did you see that angel? And I've seen that for years. And they never resonated with me. And maybe that was for somebody else, but it wasn't for me at the time. I'm not saying it wasn't real to them. But this was real to me, and the Lord showed me. I lived this storm. I was in the middle of this storm. And I knew when I seen this vision that it had a prophetic purpose concerning me and the church, and I didn't know how. And I went into prayer about it. The storm didn't last very long, but it played out on the other side of Poplar Bluff. It just vanished. And can I tell you, it formed right out in front of our church. That storm right there formed right outside in front of our church with no storm in the forecast whatsoever. It just appeared. It just happened. 
and lasted just a few moments, boom, it was gone. And we were right in the center of that storm. And the Lord, when I seen that demonic thing, the Lord spoke to me and said, get ready for a fight. I didn't understand it. I believe that the testimonies that we had on Ninth and Cedar and us coming to this palace and the prophetic word over us that the devil is trying to destroy it. Are you listening to me? We can speak of all the miracles, me and Randy could, all day long that it took to get to this place. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. There, was, there were uh, naysayers saying that it never happened. We was in a meeting with the city council and with different, and we brought our architectural drawings. Won't mention his name, but a prominent lawyer looked at the drawings. He looked at me and laughed and cuckled and smiled real big, pointed out and said, that will never happen, <laughs> and walked out of the building. Well, I want to go back to him and knock on his door and say, hey, I got a testimony. It's happened. Can I have an amen? Oh, but that wasn't the only thing. There were people against us fighting us from this thing happening like you have never seen. Organizations were fighting against us when they weren't fighting against anything else being built around the town. And we could give you names and we're not gonna do that. That ain't who we are. We don't hold any grudges. We just recognize it for what it was. It was the prince and the power of the air trying to stop our testimony from happening. But it's now it's happened. Now he's trying to rob it from us. No one has a clue of the things that we have fought in order to be able to get to where we're at. But I want to tell you something. The fight ain't over. We got to keep fighting to keep ourselves here. The devil's trying to take away our testimony. He wants to mock us by destroying the palace. And the way he's going to destroy the palace is by attacking your, you, the people's testimonies. He's going to try to make us look like a fraud, a hoax, a bunch of weird fanatics that's caught up in fantasies. Those that are healed, he's going to try to inflict, bring it back. Those that have been saved, he's going to try to get out here and mock you and mock the church by discrediting the church, by us saying around, oh, Joe, the drunk got saved last night only for three months later. He goes right back to his alcoholism. He's going to try to steal the testimonies. Are you listening to me? Those, those that have been delivered, He's going to try to bring back that fear or that temper or that drug abuse or that lust or that anxiety. Whatever you've been delivered of, the enemy's going to try to bring it back and I'm warning you. He's going to try to destroy your testimonies. And he's going to try to keep from testimonies happening. He's going to do both. He's not only after you to keep your testimony from coming to light, he's also out to destroy the testimony that you have. He's out to kill the Lazarus in you. Can I have an amen? Now, whatever you, whatever you were delivered from, the devil is out to bring it back, discrediting the power of God in this place. The devil's out to steal our testimonies. He's out to oppress, depress, oppress, discourage, afflict, to do everything he can to stop from the effects of the testimony having influence within our land. He's trying to silence the church's testimony. Oh, God, help us. But the other day, Virginia Buffeton, a godly woman, used a lot in the prophetic, used a lot in the spiritual gifts, her and Anthony, sent me a picture that also had spiritual significance, and I want to tell you, it resonated with me. There was another sign and wonder happening that began to resonate in my spirit, and I thank them if they're here for sending that to me. Thank, thank you, guys. 
could not have come at a better time. I want you to show the next slide, please. Most of you have seen it because I shared it all over the place. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know where I'm going. Oh, the storm clouds may blow. But, <laughs> oh, God's got a rainbow for every one of us. Are you ready? This picture couldn't come at a better time in my life. Lots of things have been going on in my life, both in the natural, the physical, and the spiritual. I'm telling you, there is things that's weird going on in my home and in my life and in my mind and what I'm studying and what God's showing me. And there's things that, I'm, I mean to tell you folks, I can't even talk about them because God won't allow me. And some of, some of them are so private and some of them are not private. I'm about to explode to tell you and it's not timing and just things are going on and I'm excited and yet it, it's, a, it's a mingle of all kinds of things and yet there, there's, there's been the wars of fear and anxiety and everything else coming against me with the things that I've seen. And yet right in the middle of all this stuff taking place, God spoke to me through this picture as Anthony and them sent it to me. He said, you are mine, I am yours, and I have a covenant with you. I am with you, I've always been with you, and I will always be with you. We're in covenant with each other. Which I knew that, but I need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit. That picture was God's voice, whoom, right at a critical time in my life. And I got to, you almost caused me to have a car wreck. Because I got that in the car and woo, I got so happy because God began to speak to me through a happening. God will give you glimpses of his miracle in the delays if you'll watch. And when he does, take them to heart. Though they may not happen immediately after the promise, take the glimpses to heart. Hold them dear to you. Don't let them slip through because that's God's promise and covenant saying, I'm going to see you through this. Come on, somebody help me preach. Then God began to do something phenomenal in my life. He took me to the covenant with Abraham that he had in Genesis 17 when God began to make a covenant with Abraham. Now, we already knew and we all know that uh, without going into teaching that we went through before, we've all known that God entered the covenant with Abraham through blood. It was a blood covenant. How many understand? I don't have to bring all that out, do I? God done a blood covenant with Abraham. This meant that if any two or more parties broke covenant, that would cost to them lives. I've preached on that before. In other words, it was God saying that if you break covenant with me, that means your life will be destroyed. You'll be killed. But on the other flip side of the coin, it was also God saying, I will die before I break covenant with you. That's how committed God is. God would rather die than tell you a lie and break covenant with you. God cannot lie. Amen. You remember Moses when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and the children of Israel were murmuring and complaining and they're caught up in tunnel vision and wanting to go back to Egypt and at least there we had garlic and onions. Well, that sounds delicious. Anybody want to come over to the house with some garlic and onion today? When they've been eating manna? Baked by angels? Come on, something's wrong in this picture. Couldn't see what God was doing. Couldn't even see the provision before them because they had not made it to their promises of yet. And they got tunnel vision. They began to mind, and God got a belly full of the unbelief. God said, I'm gonna wipe this bunch out. And Moses intercedes, says, you can't. Because if you wipe them out, the enemy's gonna say you wasn't able to take them through. Your name's at stake, God. And God's made promises to you 
carry through or his own name will be marred. Can I have an amen? So that means God's going to be faithful. Here in Genesis 17, we see that God visited Abraham when he was, or Abram at this time, at 99 years old. Dear God, I hope God visits me at 99. He's lived over half of his life, and now while he's old, it's here that God visits and does his greatest work in Abraham's life. Isn't that odd that God does his greatest work at the end of his life? And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's prophetic. Can I tell you, in the last moment of this dispensation, the church age, it is that dispensation that's going to see the greatest work of God being performed. That's why it is a revival of testimonies. It's God doing his work among his people. Give the Lord praise. Come on, you got to get into this with me. Oh, I got plenty of time. It is here in these last days that God's bringing forth life. Uh, Isaac, a testimony is going to be born a seed of promise. Whatever God has promised to you, God is going to fulfill it at the end of this dispensation to give you one of the greatest testimonies you've ever had in your life. When God visited Abraham in Genesis 17, as they record the name of God in the actual in the actual translations of scripture, they use the word Y-H-V-H. You can pronounce it any way that you want. I've tried to get online to see how they pronounce it, and the Google would say, we don't know how. And others said, in the, all of the context that I read, it says that most people would not even know how to do it unless you are of the old Hebrew language, which very people know. But it was Y-H-V-H in Hebrew translation, show slide number zero. That word, Y-H-V-H, is the actual translation that's in Scripture saying the name of God. But that really actually represented Yahshua or Yahweh. So when you read that Scripture, Y-H-V-H, you could say, Yahweh, say Yahweh. And when the Bible was translated, they used this word, Y-H-V-H, as God's name because... The Hebrews viewed the name of God as so sacred and so holy that it was not to be spoken nor was it to be written. They would not say the word Yahweh. They would not say the word Yahweh. It was too holy. It was too sacred. So they dropped the vowels and they used the abbreviation as the name of God. That's where you get Y-H-V-H, okay? God in this story changes the name of Abram by adding a simple letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The letter that was added was an H in the English language. If you look at it, you'd say it's H. But in the Hebrew, it was called Hey, H-E-H, show slide number one. There it is. That's how you would pronounce the fifth letter of the alphabet. In the English, this word Hey would mean Hey, like point, behold, Hey, look. That's what it would mean. However, in the Hebrew, it means breath of God, word of God, light or inspiration. Are you with me? Everybody with me? The hay was significantly used in the Genesis account when the Bible says, and the spirit of God moved across the face of the waters, darkness was upon the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The actual language in that was, and the spirit of God, hey, that word move means that word moved was, hey, mean breathed. Just like Jesus in the book of John 
when he looked at his disciples and he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Here in Genesis, God breathed. Huh! And the Spirit of God moved across the face of the waters. And what happened? He said, let there be light. Boom. And there was light. The word hey means light, means breath, means word of God. Hey then was viewed by the Hebrews as sacred because it bared the name of God. Breath of God, word of God, light. How many knows that God's, Jesus is the light of the world? Come on, we can break it all down. But they begin to say, hey, we can't pronounce even the, this alphabet, this letter of the alphabet in its full content because it represents God's name. So they chose not to speak it in its original form. And if you drop the vowel of E out of hey, you get the letter HH or H. That's all you got left. Show slide number two. That's all you got is H. I tried to look that up and say, how do you pronounce that in the Hebrew? How many of you can go on Google and ask how to pronounce certain things? And uh, you Google it and they'll get, and you get all the, and if you'll, if you'll scroll, there'll be, different, there'll be variations of how people actually pronounce things. And so I thought, well, I'm no dumber than any of them. There's been four of them, all four of them said it differently. So I can make it up the way I want to. But actually the one that, it, the only one I could find, it was that wet letter H was ha in the Hebrew. How many times have I been in services where I've seen people rejoice in the Holy Spirit moving and you hear people in the Spirit go, oh, oh, or well. You know what that's saying? Breath of God, light, inspiration. Oh, hallelujah. And when God visited Abraham in Genesis 17, his name was Abram, but God does something unique. He gives him a new name. Show slide verse three. This is the first mention of any human receiving a new name in Scripture but what is so unique is how he changed his name. As we have said, this is the fifth time that God has visited Abraham when this happens. And he changes his name by adding the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet to it, which is the letter H. The number five in scripture has always represented and has always been recognized as what? Grace. So five then represents the attribute of redemption. Here God comes down, he adds the ha right in the middle of Abram's name, changing it to Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude or the father of a nation. Here we see God adding or placing his own name right smack dab in the middle of Abram's name, changing it to Abraham. Here God added to the weakness of humanity's impotence unmerited favor, grace. And here he added forgiveness and redemption to the fallen humanity. Now the H, the ha added, represented God's action in the world and the ha became the witness or the testimony of the divine work in Abram. In other words, what he was saying is, Abram, I'm gonna change your name to Abraham. The way I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna come into your life and I'm gonna put myself right in the middle in the center of who you are and everything that you are and everything that you will become will be because of me. And you will be a testimony unto my name. What happened at Calvary? That's why Paul says the life that I live now, I live not by the, by, well, he said the life that I live now, I don't live by the flesh, but I live by the son of God who died and gave himself. I live by the faith of him that's in me. In other words, it's Jesus in me. God has placed his ha right in the middle of my name. 
Can I have an amen? When you and I get saved, what does the Bible say in Revelation 2.17? I'm about to close. Hang on. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying in the churches. All right. Hear what the Spirit's saying. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. I'll give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written that no man knoweth but except he himself who gave it. Now, three things are given to us that overcome. Number one, the manna. What's the manna? The word of God. The ha! Number two, a white stone he gives us. During ancient court trials, the jurors would lay down a white stone signifying a decision of acquittal. We are, you're, 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 you, you are not found guilty. In other words, grace. So right now, God, to us overcome. What's he done? Given us the word of God, the ha. He's also given us grace, the fifth letter of the alphabet. Now, what else has he given us? A new name. When we get saved, God gives us a new name, and he writes that name in the book of life. I like that old hymnal that we sing. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Where the white robe angels tell the story, a sinner has come home. Yes, all the way home. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. When I got saved, God put and interjected the ha, the H, right smack dab in the middle of my name, and it gives me a testimony that God has given me unmerited favor, and I have become a witness to the divine work of God himself. My life itself has become a living testimony to the glory of Jesus Christ. So is yours. Look at somebody and say, so is yours. Just as God put an H, a ha, right in the center of Abraham's life, represent the work of divine grace. Even so, he's done the same for you and me, and he is in the center of everything that I am and everything that I will ever be. Therefore, my life is a living testimony of the goodness of God that is established, kept, and sustained by strictly grace. Hallelujah. And then we see that God not only changed Abraham's name to Abraham, but he also changed Sarai's name to Sarah. Slide four. Notice that God uses the same fifth letter of the alphabet, the hey, to change Sarai's name as well. It is only by grace that God does things on our behalf. It's not by works. We do not earn the favor of God. It's all about grace. However, the work of the grace is different in everybody's life. Don't look at so-and-so and say, well, you remember what happened to so-and-so. I want to tell you, you're not so-and-so. Don't look at Susie who had a bad report and say, well, you see what happened to Susie? Yeah, but you're not Susie. Everybody wants to compare what's going to happen to them by what's happened to somebody else. You're not somebody else. God's got his own divine grace and he's working in your life. Amen? God individually gives us unmerited favor in our own way. Instead of interjecting the ha or the hay in the middle of Sarai's name, like he did Abram's name, he adds it at the end of her name, changing it to Sarai to Sarah. This was God saying, I've established covenant with you from the beginning. I've been in the center of all that you're gonna do. I will be at the end. I'll finish it. I'll fulfill it. Oh, hallelujah. He said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He said, I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. He's saying, being confident of this very thing, he which begun a good work in you, he will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. What I started, I will finish. You can count on it. What kind of promises God give you? He's gonna finish it. He's gonna fulfill it. 
Because he's not only at the beginning of your life, he's not only in the middle of your life, he's at the end of your life. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Before God changed Sarai, named to Sarah by adding the H, you know what the name Sarai, I did never know this. I just learned it. Sarai was of the masculine form in the Hebrew. But when the hay was added to her name, her name became Sarah in a feminized fashion. In the Hebrew language, Sarah is the feminine form. And it was then when her name changed that she became fertile because as a Sarai in the masculine form, she was unable to bear children being unfertile. She couldn't have any children. Males cannot bear children, but Sarai became Sarah, which means princess. Here, Sarai becomes the matriarch, the patriarch, and the matriarch of the entire redeemed world. Now we see the Hebrew word of God, El Shaddai, beginning to appear, meaning not only the almighty one, but it means the breasted one. This informs us of the feminine attributes attached to the almighty one, God, Yahweh, Yahshua. It denotes and implies that God is not only almighty, but he's all sufficient. Hallelujah. This is where gentleness is mingled with power. Compassion is mingled with correction. Softness is mingled with strength. Embrace is mingled with rebuke. Affection is mingled with anger. God becomes the all-sufficient one. What he started, he can and will see it through by seeing the all-sufficient one, and he'll be balanced in what he does within our life. He won't only treat us in a masculine way, he'll treat us as a mother will treat us. Gentle, kind, and soft. Here he's able to take both male and female nature, and this means that he's bringing the church to fertility. Now listen, here's the breasted one that appears at the end of Sarai's life. God spoke to me, and this is what God said. Just as God was doing his greatest works in Abraham at 99 years old, he gave him the ability to produce, gave him more of a masculine nudge, even so, in Sarah's old age, she became fruitful and fertile by becoming feminine to where her womb was open and she became fertile. Can I tell you, in the last days, God is beginning to transform the church from the masculine form being the body of Christ into the feminine form by us, the church, the body of Christ, becoming the fertile bride of Christ ready to consummate the covenant with Christ to bring the covenant to fulfillment. God is bringing the church to fertility. God is moving upon the church, moving it and transitioning it from the body of Christ, preparing himself a bride that he's soon to come after, but in that transitioning of becoming in the female nature that the church is gonna become fertile, things are gonna be birthed, the plan of God is gonna be birthed, and we are gonna bring forth, and God is gonna give us living testimonies. Moses says, if he don't do this, his own name's at stake. So when I'm in my trial, when I'm in my despair, when I'm facing my storm, what I gotta do? 
sit down, rest, and have peace. He's got it taken care of. I can snooze. Hallelujah. This is what God told me. He said, when the storm comes, just sit in your rocker. Get it off your mind. I've got it under control. Be at peace. Come to me, all you that are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lonely in heart. You'll find rest of your souls. Just take it easy. Just rest. This is your testimony. Don't have tunnel vision. One minute you're way up, one minute you're way down, one minute you're believing, one minute you're not believing, one minute you're trusting God, the next minute you're not trusting God. He's a God of covenant. He's given you a rainbow. Yes, there is a storm of a demon. We see the demon's face many times. We react to that demon many times and we fall apart. God says, when you see the demon, just sit in the rocking chair. Just sit down and relax. Just sit down in peace and safety. Sit down in the green grass. It's going to be okay, my son, because I'm a God of covenant. Nothing's going to shake you. Nothing's going to move you. Nothing's going to change my love over you. I may be delayed, but I'm still coming. It may be hard, but I'm still coming. It may be at the end, but I'm still coming. I may not come when you like it. I may not come when you want it. I may not come how you want me to come, but I'm coming. Just sit and relax. Wait on my coming. Be watchful. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. I'm a God of covenant. I cannot lie. I will see you through. I'm closing right here with this remark, I think. Verse one and two I read. Verse nine and 10 I read. Read in between. In the moment that when they tried to kill Lazarus, what breaks out in the middle of the house? Worship. The alabaster box, the oil was poured on the feet of Jesus. I want you to stand with me all over this building. You know what? The Lord just kind of laid on my heart. Somebody needs to sit in that rocking chair right there. Somebody needs to get up there and start rocking. Hallelujah. Just, just relax, honey, and just rock your sorrow away. Take a deep breath. What? Let the Lord have his way in your life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We're all facing this stuff. Whether you're trying to receive your testimony or whether your testimony's been trying to be taken away. That old demonic force that you see, that old ugly face, is rearing itself up, roaring, seeking him out of our. But there's another one going to and fro to be strong on your behalf. The God of covenant, Yahshua, Yahweh, El Shaddai, the breasted one, is among us here today. Hallelujah. And he wants to take that which is barren in your life and make it become fruitful. He wants that which cannot produce to become that, to, to fulfillment of fruitfulness. And I want you to just come, those of you that feel the urge that you're just in this battle with me. I want you to just walk up front, if you can. Come on. Yeah. 
now begin to be the worshipers that took place in between those two verses. <laughs> Bob, he's the breasted one over your life, son. He's El Shaddai. He's Almighty. He's Yahweh. He's Joshua. He's God of covenant. Hallelujah. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's his promise. And if he ain't took it away yet, he's going to give you the, bear, the grace to bear it. This is who our God is. God's transforming this church from the body of Christ into the bride of Christ, getting ready for the end of this dispensation to bring fulfillment to the covenant of Jesus Christ for his church to be redeemed. And he's sanctifying him a bride that's without spot or blemish or any such thing. And he's forming us into that beautiful creature. But when he does, birth and productivity is going to happen. I need the staff, those that don't mind laying hands on people, those that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you help me pray? And if you don't want your, no one to lay hands on you, just tell them that's no problem whatsoever. Just kind of put your hand up and say, no, don't pray for me. Right, Pray for me from a distance. It's okay. Hallelujah. But we're going to believe that the God of covenant is going to minister grace, marvelous grace, unmerited favor to every believer that's come up here that's in the middle of their storm. Hallelujah. Oh, mighty grace, have your way in this building. Somebody else needs to be in this rocking chair right here. I don't know who you are. Come on. Right here you go, sis. Just rock. Rock a while. Hallelujah. Marvelous grace. Come on. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Just reach out and say, God, help me to hang on to my faith. Help me not to have tunnel vision. Help me not fall apart and be double-minded and every time I turn around, let me understand you're a God of covenant. You'll see me through. <laughs> you're going to see me through, God. Oh, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. <laughs>